All right, if you'll take the confession once again this morning and find chapter 26, we're in paragraph 11. Chapter 26 of the church and then paragraph number 11. So we've been reading a scripture reading before each of our lessons, and we've been doing that intentionally. And most times the scripture that we read is one of the footnoted verses. Um, In this particular paragraph, you'll see that this is a rather short paragraph, and there is only one footnote. Um, Depending on what copy of the confession you have, your confession might have a footnote there with a number that points you to a verse. But there are two verses, verse references that are mentioned. Acts 11, verses 19 through 21, which is part of the scripture reading that we read. And then 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. And uh, we will go through those, and we're going to look more closely at those. But I do want to read paragraph 11, and we're going to deal this morning with the subject of preaching the Word. Uh, Preaching the Word. It says in paragraph 11, Although it be incumbent on the bishops or pastors of the churches to be instant in preaching the Word by way of office, yet the work of preaching the Word is not so peculiar confined to them, but that others also gifted and fitted by the Holy Spirit for it and approved and called by the church may and ought to perform it. Paragraph 11, as you can see, the emphasis is on that expression or that phrase, preaching the word. That deals with the ministry of the word. When we refer to preaching the word, uh, it is similar to the ministry of the word. And when we think about the ministry of the Word, and we think about those who labor in the preaching and the ministry of the Word, we immediately are drawn to the reality of Scripture that sets apart the pastoral or office of elder in that role, that that is a part of the responsibilities of a pastor elder is to preach the Word. Uh, It's not an optional thing. Uh, Pastor, elder, the requirement is upon that man, or in the case of plurality of elders, those men to preach the word. That's why we go back when we look at the requirements of pastors, uh, is that they were apt to teach. It is part of the responsibility and part of the expectation. Now, the wording of this particular paragraph, as some of the other paragraphs have been in this chapter, uh, come from two different sources, including the Scriptures. The first London Baptist Confession of Faith, some of you may or may not be aware of this, but the 1689 Confession of Faith is not the original. There was a 1644, and that 1644 is what is being referenced in this paragraph but also upon the 13th paragraph of the Savoy Platform of Church Polity, which we dealt with a number of weeks ago. So this paragraph takes the scriptures and then those two documents to form what we see here in paragraph number 11. And it's teaching us here that the Spirit is pleased to use the preaching ministries of, of course, the pastors and the elders, but it also references people who are not specifically called or equipped to the office of pastor or elder, but have been gifted and equipped with the ability of the ministry of the word. In other words, there are people who the Spirit of God has equipped to be able to preach the word who are not necessarily pastors or elders. Uh, And we're going to deal with where that division came from originally and what that means for us today. So those ordained to the ministry 
um, are, of course, called to preach. But it is evident what we read there in Acts 11, verses 19 through 21, that there were certain of those uh, who were preaching, these men of Cyprus, these men who, when they came to Antioch, they were speaking unto the Grecians. Now, we know that there, in that context, there was those who were preaching only to the Jews, and then there were those that were preaching to the Grecians or the Gentiles. And you'll notice that verse 21 says that the hand of the Lord was with them. These men that were preaching to the Grecians in the purest sense were not elders and they were not pastors. Yet you're going to see that they returned and gave a report to the church about the success of the gospel. So these men were preaching the word, but they were coming back or going back to a church. Verse 21 shows us that the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And of course, we see in the narrative that Barnabas goes and he sees the grace of God. Okay, he sees the grace of God was at work. He sees that, that they, the, the, the people's purpose of heart had changed and that there would be a cleaving to the Lord. So the intent of the paragraph 11 of the confession is certainly that we learn that even the church at Antioch where believers were called Christians first, a part of that beginning or a part of that planting began out of the preaching ministry of men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, while they were fleeing persecution, they were preaching the word. They were part of the whole. It was part of what that church at Antioch, those who were believers who were called Christians first. So we see that there are men who are equipped to be able to preach the word who are not pastors or elders. Now, we do see very clearly that there's a couple points I want to give to us in paragraph 11. And we're going to talk and break some of these phrases down. But you notice it says, although it be incumbent on the bishops or pastors of the churches. Uh, that word incumbent uh, means it is a part of a pastor's elder's ministry. That's a part of it. Uh, there really is not a pastor elder who does not have preaching as part of that ministry. Now that is, it's incumbent upon those pastors, those bishops to preach the word. It's a part of the office that pastors hold. And notice that it says not only is it incumbent upon them, but to be instant in preaching. To be instant, it has the literal meaning of being ready, active, and prepared. In other words, those men should be ready to preach. Now this might be a simple, and maybe it's too simple of an example. But for example, and when we get to a case, and even in the case where we are now, we get to a case of plurality of elders. Even though one elder, one pastor may be preaching that day, every one of those men should be prepared. They should be prepared to be able to speak. They should be able to preach. They should be able and be instant, ready. Uh, we don't know uh, what can happen uh, in a church's ministry. Um, th there, there have been in the last three weeks, I've counted at least three churches that are now without pastors due to death. The pastors have died, and it's happened in an instant. And in all three of those cases, 
from what I'm seeing, none of those churches were prepared for this. They weren't prepared to deal with or what would happen if the pastor was gone. Now, again, this is not a, uh, I'm not being derogatory towards a lack of priority of elders. I'm just giving you an example of that because we know why we're in a situation we are where we don't have plurality of elders yet. But we've been praying about that and we continue to pray about that. But this also shows us that the paragraph, according to the scriptures, also shows us that there are men inside of a church who are capable of preaching who may not be called to the office of pastor or elder. Now, we've been privileged and gifted over the last year at least to where we have men in this congregation, and we have more men in this congregation, I'm convinced, have the ability to teach and preach who maybe have not even been called upon to do that yet, but there are numerous men in this church that can do it. And there is a gifting to do it. Now, not everybody can stand up and preach and teach. We understand that. But if you have the ability to do that and you've been gifted by that, you are authorized by the Bible to to preach. You don't have to be a pastor and you don't have to be an elder. And I think it's very important. It's very important that we understand this principle this morning. This, This paragraph and even this lesson in comparison to some other things we've dealt with is very short. Uh, It doesn't seem like it has a lot to it. But when you consider the consequences of what could happen, uh, I think it becomes even more important as to why we look at this. So one of the main functions that we do know that it is the responsibility for the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word and the responsibility belongs to the church. The church has been called to preach the word. It is the pastors and the elders have been called to preach the word. But it doesn't mean it's just them. But the churches should have a part in what's going on. And so we understand that just like we've learned, everything should be done properly and everything should be done in order. Uh, There should be an orderliness done even in the preaching. So what is the church's responsibility? Just like we were talking about over the last couple weeks, that when the day comes, when God rise, raises up within this congregation, someone that may, it may, they may come later, they may be within us now, that the Lord puts the desire upon their heart for the office of bishop, the office of elder, which the Bible says, he who desires that desires a good work. When that happens, there would be a recognition by the church, the church as a whole, that that man is the one who is equipped to be raised up to become one of the elders, pastors of that local congregation. In the same fashion, there will be a recognition by the congregation of a church that men within our church are qualified and equipped and gifted with the ability to preach and teach, but not necessarily are they going to be pastors or elders. There will be a recognition of it. You'll be able to know that that man has been given the ability to do this. And so there is this reality of what we need to keep in mind, that God has equipped and God has gifted men who can preach and teach who are not called to the office of pastor or of elder, which we've said are synonymous. Um, If you'll look at Romans 12, verses 4 through 8, the Apostle Paul was writing about the, the body. He was writing about the members. And he uses the terminology that there are many members in one body, but they all do not have the same office. 
Romans 12, verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, so we see that there every member does not all hold the same office. Now, one of the things we're going to learn primarily getting into next week, but a little bit into this week, is we have to be very, very careful that we don't elevate the difference between what's considered to be elder pastor and layman. Now, I understand we use the word layman. We're using that in a sense that we're trying to differentiate between those who are not in the full-time ministry. Again, that's not necessarily the best term to use, but you understand what I mean. We can get into a place where the elder pastor can get so high, the position can get so high that they can believe that nobody else is gifted to do anything else. And it's where we get the idea, and sadly we've gotten the idea, that pastors get the, get the impression that this church cannot go on without me. That, that if, if I'm not the one preaching, then we just really shouldn't have anything. We, we should put things on hold. It, it, it elevates the man to believe that nobody else could possibly be gifted and equipped to handle the Word of God and to teach it to a congregation of people. Now, folks, that simply just isn't true. Uh, that, again, I'm convinced and I know of. We have men who have stood up before us. They've stood up before you. And they've preached the word to you. They've taught the word and they've done it correctly. They've done it humbly. They've done it in the fear of God. But not every man in the church could you call upon and ask them or expect them to do that. Now that doesn't make them lesser of a man if they can't. It is, a, it is an equipping. It is a giftedness. And that is what we see is happening. Is that there should be this giftedness. Now, he does warn, and we're going to come back to this in a moment. Paul did warn in that same chapter, chapter 12, verse 3. He said, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that, um, that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. He shouldn't think more highly of himself than he ought. Just because one man isn't gifted and equipped to teach and preach doesn't mean that he should think so highly of himself that he thinks he can do that just to keep up with the other men in the church. Or that I, I, am, I, am, I, am, I am equipped to do this. Maybe you're not. But the explanation here is, is that it doesn't mean that the teaching and preaching is only exclusively given to those who are, quote-unquote, in full-time ministry. Uh, it teaches us that there are teaching gifts that are given to the church. There are people who have the ability to teach, and there are men inside of that congregation could do that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, it says, God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, 
Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of a miracle? These are rhetorical questions he's asking over and over again. The answer here is, is no, not everybody has the same gifting. And so we have to understand that those who are gifted and equipped with the ability to teach should use those gifts. So pastors and elders, we know, first of all, that they must preach the word. Okay, that's part of their responsibility. It's incumbent upon them. They must preach. To be instant, they must be ready. They must be prepared. They must be active. But elders and pastors are not alone in preaching the word. Okay, so they're not the only ones who can. Now, part of this view, and again, everything I say does not mean it can be painted with a broad brush and cover everybody in it. But primarily what used to be the Presbyterian view was that only people who have been classically ordained, and I won't get into necessarily how deep that means, and formally trained in their universities were gifted and equipped to preach or teach. So in other words, if you were not trained in one of their universities, then you were not equipped or gifted to do that. So that, that was their view. Now again, I don't, I don't claim to know all of the views. I'm just giving you, at, a, at, at one point, that's the way it was viewed upon in certain segments of Presbyterians. Again, I'm not picking on Presbyterians. That's just the reality of what happened. But it was those of the Baptist denomination and also Congregationalists who argued that that should not be the case, that only a person formally trained in a university is equipped or gifted to preach. Now that Presbyterian view, although it's not called that Presbyterian view, has and continues to leak into the church mentality that sometimes the very first thing that happens when a church is quote-unquote seeking a pastor is they say we're looking for someone who is university trained. That's not random. That thought process isn't random. That used to be the norm in Presbyterian churches and maybe some other denominations that I'm not even aware of. And that's often how it goes. Now, in a church where you have this giftedness and equipping, it doesn't mean that a man can be undisciplined and untrained in the Word and then suddenly be expected to stand up and be able to teach the Word without any effort and without any study and prayer of his own. This isn't like a gift that just comes upon him and he stands up and he can preach and teach the Word, but he doesn't study the Word for himself. It's not that kind of a giftedness. But do you see what could happen? Uh, we, we could get into the mentality that the only people qualified to actually teach the Bible ever, even in pastors, and sometimes they say the only people that can be pastors are people who've been university trained. Now, I don't hold that position. Now, I think, it's, I think, it's, I think it could be good. I think it's good that you get education. But I've also seen this misused. I've seen it misused that a man with a PhD suddenly is more qualified to preach than a man who isn't university trained, but maybe he's been in the Word just as much or more. 
So a church looks and they start looking at resumes and they say, well, the man with the PhD certainly has got to be better equipped and better trained than the non-university trained preacher. And I would say that is a terrible mistake to make. So we understand that this equipping, this giftedness to fit for the ministry, to be able to preach, may come across in that way, that we are being too open with this. But it is true that not everybody can preach and teach. Your Bible knowledge, your Bible knowledge might even surpass someone else's, but that doesn't mean a giftedness to teach it to someone else or to preach. Now that's not insulting. That's not a lessening. Because my prayer is that our church would be so theologically strong that that there's everybody in the church has got a knowledge, a deep knowledge of God, but I don't look at every man in this church and say, what's wrong with you if you can't fill in and preach or you can't teach? There's been men throughout my life that are not preachers. They're not teachers. But they have given me counsel and they have given our church counsel that was so theologically strong that I would have made wrong decisions without their counsel. So it doesn't mean they don't have value and it doesn't mean it's a lesson. But we do understand that not everybody can preach. The intent of this statement that when we look at what's being said here in the, in the, the, the paragraph itself is that, that the bishops, and although it's incumbent upon the bishops and the pastors to be instant in preaching the word and it's incumbent by way of office, yet the work of preaching the word is not peculiar confined to them, but that others also fitted and gifted by the Spirit for it. But notice there's a, there's a condition here. Called by the church may and ought to perform it. There has been, and, and this has been asked to me recently, about level of authority. Now we're, we're, we're in this very weird period of time. Um, and I'm calling it that not to <laughs> try to be theological about this, but we're in this very weird time where there's this great push and pull. There always has been against authority. But one of the greatest push and pull that's going on is does the local church have any authority over anything? Does it have authority in a home does it have, or does it have authority just inside the four walls? Does it have authority in people's life? What, what does the church really have? Um, it's what has led to the decline in the biblical responsibility of church discipline. Because churches have started to believe we don't have a right to discipline one of our members. And that's, that's wrong on every front. Because the, 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 the condition of church membership, for example, is you voluntarily join that congregation. Nobody twists your arm or forces you to be a part of that congregation. And there is a difference between a member, and somebody who does attend. Now, we're going to get into church membership over the next couple of weeks, but there's a difference. When, when you submit yourself as a member of that church or become a member of that church, you are submitting to the authority of that church. Now, again, it doesn't mean that the church has authority in every aspect of your life. But there are aspects of this, and there are, there are teachings in Scripture that show us that this extension... This extension ministry of even preaching the word should be something that's recognized 
and in some way, shape, or form, at least done under the authority of a church. Now you say, are you, are you one of those radical people that says nobody can preach the word without the church? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is that there should be some level of accountability. There should be some level of, if a man is gifted and equipped to preach the word, and he wants to preach the word, and he comes, he, comes and he's, he comes to the elders of the church and he says, I, I, I have this desire to go preach the word here or in this place. He should do that with, with some recognition of the church saying, well, we're approving of you doing this. As a matter of fact, we want to support you in this. You see, that's not restrictive. That's actually a very blessed thing to be able to say, this man who is preaching in this particular environment, he has a church. He has a church and he's, he's preaching from that church, not so the church gets recognition, not so the church can grow in numbers, but there's that level and that submission to authority. Remember, we're all submitted, we're all to be submitted to authority. There is no place in your life you're going to get where there's no authority over you. We all have authority. But authority tends to be, well, the church has no authority over me. And again, authority can be misused. I understand that. Authority can be corrupt. I understand that. But what the confession writers had in mind here was that this ministry of the word should be done through the authority of the local church. Again, what does it go back to? It goes back to being able to recognize those gifts. Recognizing that there are others within a local church who have been gifted and fitted by the Spirit to preach the Word. Okay, they're sent out by that church. They're sent out to preach. They are sent out to, to teach. And they should preach. And they should teach. But the idea that we should prohibit and say, all right, let's just make this simple. Unless you are a university-trained minister, then you have no right to preach the Word. Well, there comes where we get a distinction, that is often an unbiblical distinction that's made. That unbiblical distinction has started to creep in where now churches, instead of calling people elders and pastors, we've kind of started to move to this idea of, okay, now we've got ministers and now we've got elders and we've got this and we've got this and we've got this. Elders and pastors, they're, they're equipped and they're, they should be fitted to preach and teach. But we tend to make this distinction to say, oh no, your title is this, so you can't be a preacher or you can't be a teacher. There is no precept that forbids Christians from preaching the gospel as they have opportunity to do so. Now again, it would not be unbiblical. And we've done this many times. It is not unbiblical for this church, for example, in my absence, and even in times when I'm here, to have one of the men in our church who is equipped and fitted to preach and teach the word, to stand up here and preach the word, although he does not have a recognized office inside that local church. We're not violating scripture by doing that. But there are places where that's prohibited. Where the people are trained, if he's not classically university trained, then he is unable to preach the word. Well, that would not be the position that we would take. 
Now, again, people come from different backgrounds. But there are examples of where we have Christians preaching the word who were not ordained elders and were not ordained pastors. And again, I realize when we look in the book of Acts, we're talking uh, much about the first century church. We're talking about the establishment of those churches. But there's not a biblical prohibition against a man preaching the word who isn't an elder or a pastor. But he is told, and that goes back to Romans 12, that he should avoid pride in that matter. And that there should be submission to the church and somebody as his overseer, as one who is held accountable. Okay, not that he has to be a pastor, not that he has to be an elder, but that there should be a calling, there should be an equipping, and there should be um, a humbleness to it. The, the confession writers were very careful in saying that he may and he ought to perform it. Okay, now I told you the other footnote is 1 Peter 4, if you want to turn over there. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. Uh, we could actually read uh, much before that, but Peter is going down the list of various things, and he talks about the receiving of a gift. And he says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. So again, we all, of course, if we're saved, we've all, we all received God's grace. One thing that is common amongst all of us who are in the body of Christ today is we've all received God's grace. I don't have a higher level of grace than you do. I don't have a greater influence with God than you do. People still make that mistake with pastors and elders all the time. They say, look, since you're in the ministry, you, you, you probably have a connection with God that I don't have. That's nowhere even close to being true. There's no truth to that at all. There's nothing that even suggests that, that my prayer, uh, and I, I, you'd be surprised how many church-going people believe this. Well, I, I really need you to pray because you have something that I don't have. And if, if, if I feed that, uh, I'm feeding my own pride. Because we've, we've received the same grace. Now, we haven't all received necessarily the same gifts. And again, what gets people in trouble and what the Apostle Paul was dealing with so much when he wrote in his letters is people were envious of other people's gifts. And they kept saying, I want the gift that so-and-so has. I want the gift that they have. Instead of saying, listen, in one body with many members, there are many gifts. Can all be the eyes? No. Can all be the nose? Can all be the ears? No. They all shouldn't be. But use the gift of God as you have been gifted. Now again, I, I'm speaking just an opinion at this point. This idea is what has led to preaching becoming popular. <laughs> preaching is becoming 
something that's just done to gain popularity. Or that person there is a, that's a really, really good preacher. That, and and, and we, we look at that and we have men who say, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to preach like that. I want to be able to teach like that. I want to be able to do these things. But that doesn't come from your desire to do it alone. It comes from the gifting of God to be able to equip you to do that. That's why it says if a man desires the office of bishop, he has to be apt to teach. He has to be this. This isn't something that's optional. He can't say, look, I got all the other characteristics, but I'm not apt. I don't want to teach. That's going to be a problem. So preaching the word is a ministry of the church. It's a ministry of, for us and for every local church, it's a ministry of that local church. Every one of us has a gift. But those of us and those who can teach and those preach, who preach, we only preach that which is what's been revealed by God. We have a lot of people with the title, especially in our celebrity pastor culture, celebrity preacher culture, who are not gifted and are not equipped to do that. But they're, they're garnering millions of views because of their eloquence. They're garnering their views because of their popularity. That doesn't mean they're fitted and equipped to teach. Again, now we might, we might listen to a sermon by a man and we might say, now that, that message really dealt with me. And we might say, look, that really spoke with me. And the Spirit really used that. And I'm not talking about that. But not every man that stands up and preaches has been gifted to do that. Preaching is not just being a good public speaker. There's a lot of good public speakers. Preaching is not just being able to speak eloquently, not just being able to put out a nice outline that people can follow, not one that can engage the crowd and can draw you in with emotions. That's not what preaching and teaching ever was. The Apostle Paul had no desire for you to be drawn by his eloquence. He had no desire for you to be impressed with his etiquette even. He, he was, I want you to hear the word of God. That's what he wanted. That's all he wanted. He wanted his fellow countrymen to, to have their eyes open that they might be converted, they might be saved. It wasn't just because he wanted to, hey, there comes the Apostle Paul, that celebrity pastor, celebrity preacher. No, Paul was gifted to do that. No pastor, no preacher should try to model himself after another individual and say, if I could just act like that guy, then I know God will use me. And if you've ever preached and you've ever been called on to preach, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where we start to look at the, that the man that's doing it is somehow the reason why things are happening. He's not the reason. Remember, it's been eloquent speakers. People who can phrase things and put things away who've been drawn away into cults. Cults? Cult leaders are extremely eloquent in the way they present and the way that they speak to you. And yet, that's not what the preaching and the teaching of the Word is. The emphasis is preaching the Word. The Word of God, the counsel of God. Not man's philosophy, not man's opinion. So we see that the preaching of the Word is this exercise of a man's gifts that he has been equipped and he has been fitted to that particular ministry.
Now, I told you this would be a little bit short today, but what I want you to do for next week is if, if you're in a habit of doing this, um, and I hope you are, I want you to kind of read over paragraph 12 and 13 together. My intent over next week and the following week is to handle these two paragraphs together. Now, they're broken up in the confession as two separate paragraphs, but we're going to take them as a whole because they certainly are related. Um, It is dealing with the privileges of an admission into the membership of a church and then what that means. In other words, we're going to go right back to what we talked about when someone is admitted into the membership of a church, what are their responsibilities? Uh, In other words, what changes? Uh, What what now happens that wasn't there before? Um, Are there things that we can say or do in a situation where we're dealing with a non-member as opposed to a member of that church. The Bible's not quiet on this. The the, the Bible actually differentiates between that. There's a level of authority that the church has over its members who were voluntarily submitted that they do not have over non-members. In other words, there are things that could be said to a member that can't be said to another just because the same authority is not there. So that's partly what we'll talk about next week. So if you're going to do that, certainly look at those two paragraphs, and then there are four footnoted passages. So you've got 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6, 14, and 15, and then Matthew 18, and then Ephesians 4. So if you want to study that um, ahead, you can go ahead and do that. All right? Um, let's take a couple